This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went try to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey guys, Lane here with the Simple Passive Casual Podcast. Before we get started, I got a quick announcement. It's official. The book I'm co-authoring is releasing this morning, and I'm asking for a huge favor from you guys and asking for your support to hit the number one bestseller status on Amazon. As part of this release, we'll be putting together a special offer with over $200 of bonuses, plus 100% of the book profits would be going from the Amazon purchases would be going to charity. Grace, a Dallas grassroots organization that helps feed and clothes those in need. And I'm currently looking for a charity that I can do in Hawaii. A couple of reasons I came back to Hawaii was to help those, you know, people who are working hard, who've bought the house, but still commute two hours every day and still struggle financially. But also there's a lot of new immigrants to Hawaii that they're not really entitled. They don't have need for education or they don't see the value of education. You know, sleep homeless on outside. So, you know, I'm looking at different organizations to kind of work with. One of those I'm looking at right now is called projectdestined.com, project D-E-S-T-I-N-E-D.com. And they go in and they make social change in an area. You know, just as we crowdsource deals in the Hui Deal Pipeline Club, if you guys have any questions, please let me know. The back to the book release, it's called The One Thing That Changed Everything. And I think it's going to be a really powerful book. All-star group of other entrepreneurs and business owners including Kyle Wilson, 15-year Major League Baseball's two-time memory champion Ron White, number one real estate podcaster and developer Robert Helms, Erica Dela Cruz and PGA Tour member Nick Bradley and many more. These are super achievers that I'm also in the book with. These stories that you'll read in the book will be very positive and I think one of the stories will resonate incite some kind of change and it's sort of in the style of chicken soup for the soul very short stories get to the point and everyone is sharing their one thing that kind of changed it for them and set them on that path so i'm asking for your support today go to the website tinyurl.com backslash one thing amazon so that's tinyurl.com backslash one thing amazon o-n-e-t-h-i-n-g a-M-A-Z-O-N. And remember, after you buy, please send an email to gifts at lessonsfromonethingbook.com with your Amazon order number, book quantity, and your comments so that we can send you the $200 worth of goodies. Again, that email address is gifts at lessonsfromonethingbook.com. Help me out here, guys. I'm trying to make number one bestseller here. Apologize for the noise. I'm making it back from the coffee farms in Panama and in the lounge. Here's the rest of the show. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Hey, guys, this is Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. Please go to the newly designed website and sign up for the Hui Deal Pipeline Club for access to the deals that I come across. Today, I have Clayton on the line. Clayton Morris, how are you? I'm doing great, Lane. Thanks for having me. Clayton was the news anchor on Fox and Friends in the morning on the Fox News Network. Clayton and I had a chat about 18 months ago. I don't know if you remember Clayton, but uh, right. I don't know if you still do the calls with folks. We had a, a chat way back. I, I'll be honest. I didn't know who you were. You said you were, uh, you were on TV. So then I Googled you and I found out that you were on TV. And <laughs> little did I know that I was in the, in the presence of a, a celebrity. Thanks for coming on the line. Well, thanks for having me, Lane. And yeah, it's funny. After 18 years in broadcast television this past week, I decided to uh, to hang it up and focus on my business. You know, now in what we do at Morris Invest, and it's like, you know, I've got 17 employees that I'm accountable to. I, you know, rehab 50 properties a month. So I've got to be, you know, I've got to be focused. And you, you sort of feel like you've got that safety net sometimes where, you know, can I leave my nine to five job? Can I do this? And and my wife and I just published a podcast this morning called How to Quit Your Day Job and on, on our podcast. And we kind of walked through the, all the prep that went into making sure that our passive income was there, making sure that all of the things were lining up for us, the properties, the portfolio, the taxes, the, you know, all of those things before I, before I just uh, decided to walk out the door. So, so yeah, it's been, a crazy, it's been a crazy week. So thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, moved back to Hawaii. I'm not retired. I'm still working a day job, but 
sort of a pre-retirement, I call it. You were working, what, a few days a week, a couple days at a week as the anchor, which it took? Yeah, so I would do the weekend show. Um, I was the weekend anchor. I would do 6 to 10 a.m. So I never really got to see my kids on the weekend, you know, in the mornings at least. And so my wife would, you know, and, and all these other families are out at the park on the weekends or getting bagels or, you know, going to breakfast and, and taking their kids to soccer games and birthdays. And I never got to experience that. And then the rest of the week, the kids are in school. So um, it, it'll be a, it'll be quite a change for me. And, and I would fill in during the week as well here and there. And so, uh, um yeah, I, I'm excited about it. You know, uh, you feel you, you cannot grow unless you have adversity and challenges in your life. And I'm looking at this as a, as a big challenge and, and you know, as, a, as an exciting new chapter to focus on real estate investing and helping people, you know, build, you know, understand financial freedom and overcoming their, their negative associations with money, which is something I grew up dealing with and fighting with my whole life. And I've really, really worked hard to overcome those negative associations with money. And, and uh, I want to help people do that. Yeah, I know. I left my job. It just kind of felt a little weird and for free fall, not knowing where I was going to be the next week and currently being a free agent in a way. But did you, yeah. uh, when you left, did anybody think you were coming back or didn't quite know what you're doing? And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people are like, well, you're clearly going to be going to some other news network, right? Like you're going to go to CNN or you're going to go to MSNBC or you're going to, I said, no, I, I just don't want to work in television anymore. I know you, and everyone just looked at me like I'm nuts, right? Because I think for a lot of people, they'll tie their ego, their self-worth to being on television or being associated with, with that kind of a job. And, and for me, I lost my job a number of years ago when I was the anchor of Good Day Philadelphia. Uh, and I found that, you know, basically the news director that hired me wanted me to, to help make the morning show fun and hip and young. And, and that's why they brought me in. Well, she lost her job a week after I got there. So then suddenly I had no internal support and the, and the brand new news director that came in, he, uh, you know, he wanted to take the show in a darker you know, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, morning show with like every story at the top of the show was murder, murder, car break in murder. I was like, Oh, this is miserable. And uh, as my contract was coming up for renewal, you know, he said, uh, you know, we think you were sold a bill of goods, you know, you were brought in to have a fun hip morning show, we wanted to take it in a different direction. So we're not renewing your contract. And it was like, Oh, like a punch to the gut, you know, and that was like 10 years ago. And I said to myself that I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't understand how exactly I would do it with real estate or passive income. But I just said, I am never going to be the victim of that again. I'm never going to have someone else controlling my destiny like this. And he could just at the drop of a hat say, see, yeah, we're not renewing your, you're not, you know, we're not renewing your contract. We know that you bought a house here because you plan on being here for a lot of years, but sorry, see ya. And that I just, I vowed that would never happen again. It's interesting the parallels between um, coming from Seattle. A lot of people are tech guys and they're making well over 200 grand for not doing very much because nobody really knows what they're doing in their, on their computer, but you know, they get fired and they get replaced. You know, I mean, I'm sure you're, it's, you're sort of in Hollywood. I mean, at some point your skills or your, uh, your ability to captivate audiences on camera, you lose that over years. The, the newer, the younger, the fresher talent comes in and, and yeah, a lot of people say the same thing that they got fired or let go at one point, and that was the uh, the pain point that changed them to to going off and doing this real estate thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I understood real estate, and I was living around the country as a as a news anchor and as a reporter. So I lived in Montana, I lived in Los Angeles, I lived in West Virginia, Virginia, Ohio, Florida, and all, almost all of those states. I was a renter, you know, and I was sending checks every month to somebody that I never saw, and something stuck with that, you know, something stuck with me about that over the years. And when I finally moved to Florida, I bought my first property, moved into it, a one bedroom condo, found a property next door to me that was going to be an off market property. It needed a lot of work. Family inherited it. This woman who lived there for 30 years, smoked like crazy and passed away and it needed a ton of work. It needed updating. That was my first real foray sort of into real estate investing. And I flipped it, you know, and I don't flip houses anymore. I, I just, I buy and hold. And that's what we teach our audience to do. So for me at the time, though, that was my first, I said, wow, I can really do this, I, you know, and back then it was, you know, 100% financing, I could get 100% fine, or even like 110% financing, because we were even rolling the closing costs into, you know, into closing on a property. So you could pick up a rental property, 
of course, that's how so many people got in trouble doing it the wrong way. But uh, yeah, I, I realized that was my first taste of it. I just didn't understand that years later it would be, okay, I'm not going to sell these. I'm going to buy these great you know, properties, hold them for the rest of my life. And that's how I'm going to, that's how I'm going to escape the rat race, the nine to five, you know? Clayton's got a podcast called The Investing in Real Estate with Clayton Morris, of course, which kind of talks about passive investing, which, which I like. I think you and I are on the same page about the flipping. That's a job, right? We're not looking for another job where we have a pretty dang good one. Thought we'd get into this interview and kind of showcase you as the investor and just so, so, sort of people can emulate what you've done in the last few years. Because a lot of people, they, they've got some pretty big incomes out there and they want to get started with this. The first question here, Clayton, is how much simple passive cash flow are you making today and how are you doing that? My simple passive cash flow, I think, is over somewhere in the mid-20s now, I think, roughly, 20, 25, something, some, somewhere in there for passive income every month. And, you know, I started with two houses, my first two houses. Uh, my, it all kind of started with me on a flight to New Zealand, and I was going there to visit my friend who was a photographer, and he lived on the South Island, and I was going to, he invited me to come for five days to go shoot photos, and I did, and I was on this flight and I was next to these, this couple, they were in their fifties. And after 16 hour flight, they kind of woke up and, you know, we're, we're talking. And I said, they said, how long are you going to be in New Zealand? I said, oh, five days. And they said, oh, that's short. And I said, what about you guys? How long are you going to be there? I said, oh, two months. I said, how do you get to go to New Zealand for two months? Like who gets to go and do that? She, he, he looked at me and he said, oh, I'm a real estate investor. And he said, so while I'm here, you know, my, my cash flow for my properties is just, you know, basically keeping me in New Zealand, you know? So when I order a dinner, the rent from my tenants back home is paying for my dinner. And I said, whoa, wait a second. And at this point I had already flipped, you know, properties in Florida, but I just didn't understand the mechanics of buy and hold real estate. So then for the next hour, I just picked his brain, you know, I said, you know, please explain to me, like, where are you buying properties? How do you do it? He said, oh, my partner and I, we, we buy in the Midwest and, and you know, boring, cheap markets that uh, blue collar stable markets you know I, I i rehab them with my team my you know property management team and all the whole thing and and uh i i, I he's a one key thing that he told me and taught me was hey i don't fall in love with real estate you know just fall in love with roi just fall in love with that return on investment and i said great and so my goal has always been on all of the properties that we do for our clients and for myself is between a 10 and 12 percent net roi um, I don't go lower than that. And uh, so I get really excited about that high return. And I also, I'm very conservative in my formula, you know, with my passive income. So I take out 40% for vacancy repairs, expenses, you know, in my formula. But because I repair, you know, rehab the house and I, and I place a tenant in the property, that 40% kind of ends up going out the window because at the end of the year, when I look at my spreadsheets, well, we didn't have a vacancy in that one. We didn't have any repairs in that one. So it ends up being closer to the gross number than it does the net number. Um, so that's why I take care of those things on the front end, you know, putting in the furnace, updating the water heater, putting in the electric baseboard heating for our tenants, you know, updating the roof, updating the windows, updating all the plumbing and the electric, and then all those major repairs are taken care of. So 10, 15 years from now, then you got to replace a water heater. Okay. So that's a little bit about how, you know, and I focus on, to answer your question about passive, I, I go after single family homes. That's my bread and butter. I know other people have different strategies, thrilled about everyone's different strategies. This is just the strategy that enabled me to achieve financial freedom. And that's what I've stuck with. That's what I know well. I like that people have, you know, a house when they come home at the end of the day, they've got three bedrooms and a, and a bathroom. They've got their own driveway. They have their own yard. And there's something psychological about having your own house uh, that you're renting, you know, a lot of tenants will stay a longer time because they take mental ownership of the property. That's really been my core, core philosophy. I think you bring up a good point there. And I mean, a lot of people will send me emails and personally, I've been going to multifamily syndications is what I've been doing. And, you know, a lot of the guests have been in that direction lately and they, they kind of see the writing on the wall with this podcast. But I say it again, single family is really where you should be starting at. I mean, people call and they say, I want to have a hundred units. And I'm like, okay, how are you going to do that? You know, I'm like, right. you, you can, yeah, on paper and you put the, the Venn diagram or however you're doing your pros and cons, the multifamilies are usually better at the end with the single families, but it requires experience. 
I mean, you have to come into these partnerships with, with net worth and liquidity and experience. And if you can't, if you don't have that, if you're not worth a few million dollars, I mean, what partner is going to want to work with you? And what, when, who's going to give you money with no experience? It just doesn't make any sense. So I, right. I tell everyone to start with single family as a prerequisite. Right. And that's where most multifamily owners who have made it start. And a lot of them still keep a lot of their single families in their portfolio. So it's not like they ditch them, you know, they'll have 20, 30 single families and then they move into maybe buying a hundred unit apartment complex or something like that, or 22 unit or, or whatever. Um, when they get a little bit more experience, they get some partnerships. Um, they maybe find a good maintenance team, you know, because when you have those larger multifamilies, you've got a lot, you know, more maintenance things to worry about. And you've got to, be on top of those expenses and you've got to, you've got to, you got to be zeroed in on that stuff. Um, and it's a different play and it's not something that it's not something that, that I've done. And that's not to say I won't do it in a number of years. I've certainly had opportunities to do it, but for me, I, I stick with what I know and what, what I know is single families and I do a few, you know, few multifamilies as well, you know, duplexes and triplexes and things like that. But my bread and butter is, is single families because that's what I grew up in. That's what I know. And that's what I continue to do. Right. Just like how people say, well, what about gas stations? What about strip malls? I'm like, well, right. I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. Mobile home parks or billboards or you know, what about raw land? I mean, you know, you're right. There's so much shiny object stuff out there that yes, there's, there's great strategies in real estate investing across the board. There's hundreds of them, right? There's you can buy and sell notes. You can do find the thing that works for you and stick to that one course of action. My biggest mistake would be to, to you know, to get shiny object syndrome and start doing five different things. I, I like to look at it this way. I don't know if you can picture, you ever go into like a museum and they have one of those big like north, south, east, west sort of compasses in the, the foyer when you walk into a big museum like on marble floor, you know, and you're kind of standing there on that big compass and you, you see north, it's got the big arrow facing north, got the big arrow facing south, west, east. So imagine you're standing in the middle and you decide to start buying single family homes and you're, you're, you're moving north, right? And you've got three properties, you've got four properties and you know what? They're all working for you. You're bringing in seven, 800 bucks a month per property. You've spent about 40, 50,000 on each house and they're consistently bringing you a high ROI. Well then, you know, then suddenly someone tells you, Hey, what about mobile home parks? You're like, yeah, that sounds sexy and fun. So you're going to start like taking a course or learning about mobile home parks and well, guess what? Now you've stopped buying single families because you're distracted. And now instead of walking further north, you take like now you've got to take a step west towards that other thing. And so you start going in this new direction. And it, no, matter, no matter what anyone says, once you start changing direction, it becomes a new job. It becomes an entirely new way of thinking. You've got to devote a lot of time, energy, and attention to it. And guess what suffers? Your movement north suffers without a doubt, unless you have like a large company that you're able to just create a new division like Apple. Be like, you know what? We're creating the Apple Watch. And here's the 100 people devoted to that. Go and do it. You know, it just, it's, it's going to be a distraction. And it's going to keep you from moving in the direction that already brought you success. And I'll second that. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, multifamily has, you know, they say the, the market has passed for that. Or the market cycle has passed. Or the market cycle has passed for single family or mobile home parts. That's just some cursory thing they heard on some internet form. And right. there's always deals to be found. And that's the stuff that we're closing on. I mean, you're not buying a house, I'm sure, unless it's a wholesale deal from somebody found. And I'm not going to close on a deal unless it's a needle in a haystack with some guy who just came out of probate or, or some widow who just happened needs to sell this property and the owner right. took uh, meticulous care of it. I mean, unless you get past surface level depthness, I mean, you wouldn't be buying it. So I don't know why you would be going after this advice on something to do with the market cycle. Right. Well, people always like, I, I love the sort of general broad commentary about real estate from people that don't know what they're talking about, you know, especially if you're hanging out in internet forums, I mean, that's like where real estate goes to die. You know um, I don't spend a minute in internet forums and I wouldn't encourage anyone who listens uh, to this to do that either. I mean, you can get some decent information sometimes, but mostly it's people talking other people out of doing, taking action in real estate. Um, and I like to think of it's like the people that call into radio shows, you think, wow, is this really like the audience that listens to the show? No, it typically is like the most, you know, the weirdos or the, like the, 
if you take time out of your day to call into a radio show and you're the one that's like calling in to, to, to complain about life, you know, that's not typically indicative of that larger radio show audience. Does that make sense? That, you know, it's, it's like a really small sample size. And I find that those people that hang around and, and just want to feel bad for themselves are the people that hang around in internet forums and talk themselves out of taking action in real estate. And my favorite meme lately is we're heading for a big bubble in real estate. It's like, well, first of all, how and where? And yes, maybe there are some spots of the country where they're experiencing some overinflated prices like the San Francisco Bay Area because of all the tech companies that are, you know, driving prices up. Yeah, maybe in that area, maybe some other selected areas, but United States in general in the middle of a bubble, you know, be educated about it. It's incredibly difficult to get loans. The same loans that contributed to the crash in 2007, 2008 are non-existent anymore. People can't get loans. It's very difficult to get loans. The amount of hoops and hurdles people have to jump through to get a loan, uh, you know, takes a long time. You have to have a job. You have to prove income. And back then, you didn't even have to have a job, and you didn't have to have income. So the fundamentals are totally different than they were uh, back then. Call those guys perma bears, and they've predicted the uh, the last seven out of six uh, recessions is the, the joke. Yeah. But Clayton, what is your Han Solo moment? So uh, if you don't know, Han Solo and his buddy Chewbacca from Star Wars were cruising around the galaxy as low-life smugglers, but came across Luke and Leia, and their lives took a pivot. So describe that time in your life where your life took a pivot. And what was the resistance for that change? You know, like I said a little bit, I, I grew up with a lot of negative associations with money. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. Money is the root of all evil. We're not the Rockefellers, et cetera. And so I grew, it's very important about the way we talk about money with our children. I would very early on get your kids to read, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, explain to them how money, when you, you want to create abundance in your life, abundance, you know, you're not going to create abundance in your life if you think from a place of scarcity. So that for me is my driving force today. I don't want to hold on to money. I let it flow through me to donations, charity, you know, helping our investors, all of that. But I don't hoard money anymore. I don't, I'm not scared of money like I used to be. So that is sort of the background for why this pivot point was in, important for me. And I told you about my New Zealand flight. That was really the, the catalyst that changed my direction. And I came back after that flight and I bought two properties. He explained to me where he was buying properties. I came back immediately and purchased two properties in the mid, you know, mid to upper 20s, maybe overpaid a little bit. I over upgraded them with my contracting team. I put a little bit more in there than I needed to. And that's okay. You know, learning, you know, learning curve, right? Um, but the problem was that I still was coming from a place of mental scarcity with money. And so we had these two properties that were cash flowing about 800 bucks a month. My all-in cost was, you know, in the 40s or mid-40s or so. And they were consistently rented, like long-term leases. And my wife one day comes down to the, in my basement office and she says, we can't pay the mortgage this month. And now, bear in mind, this is like after I was a network news anchor. And she's like, we, we can't pay the mortgage this month. We don't have it enough. We don't have enough. And I said, what? I had to go through my closet and sort of had to sell a bunch of stuff on Craigslist, just like some old, you know, old camera that I had and, you know, just, and like some old clothes and jeans and stuff to try to make ends meet. And I said, this is it. Like something's got to change here. What are we doing wrong? And that's when the idea of my freedom number came to me, which is I jumped up, my wife and I said, wait a second, wait a second. We've got these two properties that are consistently cash flowing for us every month. They bring us 800 a month a piece. Let's find out what our monthly expenses are. Is it 10000 a month that we need to live on for school, groceries, Netflix subscriptions, you know, car payment, all of that? What is it? You know, what's that number? Is it 7000 8000 a month? I don't know. We would had no idea. And once we did, I said, okay, great. Now, how many of these like forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 homes would I need to buy in order to cover those monthly expenses with cash flow every month? And it turns out it was like 10 or 12 houses is all I would need to create financial freedom. And so that's when I created my freedom number cheat sheet that I give away on my website and everything. And, but that was really the moment that changed everything for me. Once I understood and wrote that down on my, my whiteboard, I said, honey, all we need is 12 properties, 12. And our goal, everything in our life just shifted towards hitting that goal. That was my Han Solo moment. You know, when people buy just one property, they see how the mousetrap is, is done and they just want to pour everything and set all the useless crap they have and put it into rentals, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, and most people think that they need to be a millionaire. 
You know, you ask anyone, like, how much money do you want to make? They're like, I want to be a millionaire. It's like, really? Why? It's such an arbitrary number. You know what's not an arbitrary number? Your monthly expenses. So why don't you take that monthly number and pad it by 10% so you can take some trips and have some meals out. And that's a freedom number. That's how much money. If you had that covered every month, you'd be financially free. I have a, a list of probably about 50 things now that I keep on in a Google Drive uh, document that people can access on my about me. I think it's somewhere embedded in my profile. I think I call it I'm a cheap ass. So about 50 like things that I, I've done, like washing my car in the rain or I don't even know, but I, I write it there to try not to do that scarcity mentality stuff. Do you ever catch yourself and like, why am I saving the plastic bags for the dog's poop bags? You know, like do you ever right. catch yourself and being, and, and try and snap yourself out of that? And I mean, with your cash flow number where it is now, I mean, you shouldn't have to worry about that stuff, <laughs> what you're talking there. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I mean, for me, it's things, it's material things. And I've, I read a book a few years ago called, what is it? The Magic Art of Tidying Up. Um, I forget her name. Um, is that the Marie Kondo? Yeah, Marie Kondo. And it's a great book. And it really teaches you about the beauty of just like giving away stuff, cleaning out all the clutter in your life. And I realized that I would just hold on to things you know, clothing that has still tags on it, you know, old electronic devices. I would hold on to things because of that sort of scarcity mentality. Like that's for me what, like what I hold on to. And I'm like, why am I doing that? And it's been really difficult to overcome that. So we are now like actively like going through, we just cleaned out all of our kids' rooms, like all their toys they're not using anymore. We donated this week. Um, you know, I went through just before this show, literally just before the show, donated like five coats out of my coat closet. I'm like, why do I need five? You know, you need like a light coat for the fall and spring and you need like a heavy coat and maybe a nice dress coat. I don't need five coats. So I donated like these additional coats that are like doubling up. And I do the same thing though. I mean, I, I've, I certainly do. And like, you know, just trying to hold on to stuff or, or these, you know, Maybe even like food. Food's difficult. I, I get that from my mom, you know, like we're going to have a party or a gathering or something. She'll just overcompensate because she's worried about people just not having enough, you know, and so she'll just buy an exorbitant amount of food and so much of it just goes to waste. And that really bothers me. And she comes from that scarcity mentality growing up where, you know, she just didn't have enough. So she overcompensates by just wasting food. And that just drives me nuts. It's goofy, isn't it? I mean, I try and catch myself every time I, I, I do one of these things. And sort of it clicked for me when I was watching uh, Criminal Minds. I don't know if you, you've seen that show, but it's yeah. messed up people. And there's always like something traumatic that happens in their life. And Or the hoarder show. I mean, there's always something that happened that triggers this. And that's what caused the, the hoarder mentality. But I'm not saying that anything like crazy like that happened to me. But I mean, there's always some kind of minor trauma growing up. I mean, essentially, you're raised by aliens. I mean, your parents just, you're kind of raised in their influence. And that's the way they were, they raised you. That's their mentality with money, that scarcity mentality. I mean, you know, you're not going to go and make more. You're going to try and hold on to what you've got. And in, once you realize that you can't take any of that with you in your life, then it becomes more empowering. Once you realize you get past sort of material things and you get past holding on to money and you realize it flows through you, you know, every month we start our the beginning of our month now. And this was one of the hardest things for me to learn how to do was to tithe, you know, to give money away to those who bring us spiritual nourishment in our lives. And it could be anybody in your life that, that brings you that really powerful spiritual nourishment. You know, it could be the waitress at the restaurant. You're having a terrible day and you're sitting there at the diner. And the waitress just, you know, tries to cheer you up, spends more time than she normally would with a customer and just wants to make you smile and, you know, brightens your entire day. Like that could be the person that you leave a massive tip because you're letting that person know, like, thank you for bringing me like spiritual nourishment today. I'm not sort of saying just blindly sending money to charity or some church or something. And so that's what we do at the beginning of every month before we take any owner pay or any passive income into our personal accounts, we tally up our monthly income and we take a huge chunk of it every month and donate it to a different charity at the beginning of the month. That's the first check that we write, not to ourselves, but to charity. And every month I get really excited about that. You know, who are we going to make improve their lives this month? And that's a great way to kick off the month.
When I got smart and sold my primary residence to start investing in investments that actually made sense, woo, I needed a place to diversify quickly as opposed to some money market or some high reward checking account. Let's face it, turnkey rentals are cool and syndications are great, but they don't come around often. I stumbled upon the American Homeowner Preservation Fund. The owner, George Newmary, once apartment syndicator too, is now sponsoring the podcast. His fund cuts the middlemen out to crowdfund the solution to the mortgage crisis in America. They are empowering you to fund the purchase of distressed mortgages and earn returns that smoke any other passive fund. If you find something else better out there, let me know. Oh yeah, they work with families to keep them in their home after buying the underwater note at a huge discount. It's an opportunity to make an impact on families and communities while earning returns. Start investing with as little as 100 bucks in investinahp.com. If you want the free Burn Zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. What's a current two-week experiment that you're working on and maybe a little longer-term six-month project? Well, I'm actually working on the process of building a new studio in our office. So, you know, I shoot a lot of videos, my Morris Invest YouTube channel. So we're stepping up the production quality, uh, building a sort of new studio with new cameras and lights and all of that stuff for different live streams that we're going to be doing with different guests and Q&A. So Natalie and I uh, on the show. So we're going to be doing a lot more for that. And so I've been having meetings and trying to iron out the, the room layout. So I'm excited because, you know, when we do like a Q&A session, we just get so many great questions from our investors and, and people who are new to investing. And so we'll do those live shows on our YouTube channel. It's been really, um, so that's a, that's a two week, three week kind of, kind of plan that we're working on. And I'm looking up literally, I've got a big glass board in my office and there are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. There are 13 projects on this glass board for the end of 2017 into 2018. And they all have little octopus arms sticking out of them with multiple sub projects that need to be handled, steps that need to get done. So there's a lot. Um, I would say probably my big one is, you know, just we're, we're adding a lot of infrastructure in the office to really cater to our clients all along the way. So additional people that answer the phone, additional people that can get people answers and resources for them along the way. Um, that, that's really my biggest project is to really you know, double the company and help our investors grow and hit their, their financial freedom number. That's our overarching goal for the year. Talked about leaving your job. I mean, this is a business for you and, and you've got the passive stuff, but you're, a lot of what you do is, is active because what you, you know, you help, you're helping investors out. You only left your job now. <laughs> Right. And I think a lot of people, they, they feel like they, you know, they leave their, they read the Kiyosaki book, what you should do before you leave your job. I mean, a lot of people, they make pretty good money at their job. And unless they can, they're the person that can't scale, meaning their time, then you shouldn't leave it. Yeah, exactly. And so I want to make sure that I'm growing, right? Again, I don't want to be complacent. Like I'm at a good place now. Our, our goal was to double the size of the company this year uh, in 2017. And we hit that number in July. And so, okay, great. Now that's great, but there are a lot of other things that we need to continue to do this year in order to continue to grow and maintain that growth and to really cater to people. So that's what these projects are all about. You know, that's what, that's what these projects on my board are all about. Um, so that all of the back end stuff is taken care of the We have great, thoughtful and incredible team members that I can continue to hire and add to our team. What is your simple passive cash flow that you're shooting for that number that you want, you want to hit? then you can kind of put it into cruise control. We'd like to get to 50, 50 K a month would be, um, you know, it's kind of shifted over the time as we added a third baby. It it can be a moving target. You know, I talk about the freedom number, the the freedom number can be a moving target. So again, when people download our cheat sheet and they kind of go through it and they see that, okay, well, we're single now, we don't have any kids. So we only need $6,000 a month in, in passive income. Great, well now try adding two kids to that formula. And you're paying for school, you're paying for clothing, you're paying for, you know, uh, baby food and all those other things, uh, you know, diapers, and that, that, that number changes. So for us, I wanted to get to 30,000. Um, that was our, you know, actually, I wanted to get to 20. That was our goal this year. We did that. Uh, I wanted, I think now if I really examine it, and this is a deep question that maybe I need to have with uh, my wife about it, because I think now that we've hit those goals, Think, okay, what is our legacy number? It's one thing to hit your financial freedom number. Then what is the hitting your legacy number look like? That number that you really build to hand down to your children. 
It's one thing to just cover your monthly bills, but now how can we expand it? How can we start estate planning? How can we make sure that we've got things in place in a trust, that things get handed down properly? And that's the next level stuff that I'm excited about. So imagine you had two times that magic number that you're thinking of uh, just because it seems like you and me both have this uh, scarcity mentality buried deep. When you had this number and, and you two times the ideal day or routine or what projects you'd be working on at that point, what does that buy? I asked that question to my business partner um, who runs a, a big company. Um, we're not in business together, but we're, we bounce ideas off each other on a constant basis, sort of a mastermind. We've had sort of similar growth over the many years, so we're always in sort of parallel paths together in our business. And he's got now just as many employees as I do, and he continues to grow his company. And, and we asked that question, you know, well, what do we want to do? You know, what will this money buy us? And I know it comes down to the silly stuff, right? It's just, I just want to be able to, you know, spend more time with my kids. I want to, I want to do the things that I'm currently doing, which is I want to travel. And so that's the beauty of passive income is that if you're doing it now, you're, there's nothing I have to do to wait. I don't have to wait another 10 years to go to France, right? I can do that now. And so that's what I've already started doing. I remember reading the four hour work week and he, and I, that one story that he, that Tim Ferriss told about the guy who was like, I don't know if he, it was a friend of his or someone he knew family friend or whatever, who was like in his sixties and he was like waiting for retirement. And he and his buddy saw this guy like driving a convertible and he was like, he was retiring at like 65 or something. And you know, the guy couldn't even like play tennis anymore because his knees didn't really work too well. And he, he couldn't certainly hike, like hike Mount Kilimanjaro if he, you know, because his knees didn't work so well. And now he was retired, but that's great. Now he like his best, like most a, you know athletic and agile years are behind him now. And so for me, I you know I I want to go to Scotland. I want to go to New Zealand. I want to go to these places and be there and know that I've got rent coming in every month while I'm there. And I think the real pivot moment for me was when I think two years ago we were in Scotland and. I was just, the kids were asleep or they were taking a nap and I was just downstairs at the bar. It's beautiful, you know, this golf course in St. Andrews. And I was sitting there with my iPad just doing some reading and I had a little scotch in my hand, like some really nice, like peaty, you know, scotch and just looking out over the, the water and, and the golf course. And I got an alert that uh, rent just hit like three, three of our LLCs or something, you know, and it was literally covered the entire trip that that little rent that just hit like that afternoon covered the entire flights hotels for the week everything um, while I was sitting in Scotland and got that alert on my phone and I just leaned back and I said that's it that's what it's all about right here so nothing really is going to change for me I'm just going to do more of that more travel more time spending with the kids that abundance mentality where the it's cash flow that regenerates itself every month so if you give it away or something happens you don't really worry about it. it's going to come back again and again and again and again just right you don't get it until i think you have it it's, it's very difficult for people to comprehend unless they have that having happening to them it's hard for people to understand and i think that's why when we work with like new investors sometimes like they'll come on and they'll be like i'm so excited i want to buy like five properties and i say whoa 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 i want you to just buy one property first because i want you to be comfortable with us and i want to be comfortable with you but I want you to also feel what that feels like when you get that first property and it starts to cash flow and you see that first check hit your account that first month, you know, and that is an absolute game changer. I get emails every day. And one I just got this morning um, from a guy uh, and he said, you know, Ryan wrote me this morning and he said, um, bought our first property in, in June. It's now it's been performing well. I can't believe it. You know, I'm ready for my next property. And it's like that, it, it, there's like a disbelief moment, I think, from people. They're like, wait a minute, someone's going to pay me money every month to live in one of my properties? Wow. It's like, yeah, that's actually what happens. That's how people need to live somewhere, right? That's, people need to live. They need to eat. So, yes, people need to eat food and they need to live in a house. Either they own it or they rent it. How about you have a property that somebody rents from you? I mean, it's, it's simple, simple mechanics, you know? Something that I do with coaching clients or even people when that they call me and we talk about this uh, simple passive cash flow number, you know, they ask them, well, wh what does that buy you or what's the number? Um, you know, they'll, they'll either say a number or what their lifestyle will be at that point. And I ask that question as a loaded question because 
inevitably there's two ways to answer it and the way they answer is not the way that they think of it. So uh, you, you mentioned a number and people, they don't think about, well, what does that buy? What, how does that feel, right? Like, you know, is that in Ireland sipping on my PD Moss drink, right? Right. And cash flow coming in, is that what it is? Or, you know, some people are the opposite. They'll be like, well, I want to live in this kind of house. I want to drive this kind of car. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'm an engineer. Like, we can, like, spreadsheet this out. You know, we can figure out how much this costs. And that's totally what they're not good at. It just seems like there's two types of people with that. So maybe it's just good good conversation material with your partner. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Um, for me, I, I, I'm a daydreamer. So I think about that stuff first, right? The drinking as scotch, looking out at the thing, the water. And like, that's where my brain goes first. Math to me was the harder thing. So I, I love that you do that. Because I think for a lot of people, math might be the first thing, like my wife. For me, it's the last thing. And so I think people can come at it from different approaches. That's why I teach people that you've gotta, you, you have to know what your monthly expenses are, right? Like take six months of it. Let's take the average of those six months. What is that? 6,000 bucks a month? And then let's reverse engineer that with the number of rental properties it would take to hit that number. But I think yeah. that exercise in like you're picturing, you know, thinking from the end, right? Like as you mentioned, thinking from the end and like how, what would my life look like when, when I hit this, you know, hit this moment? Will I be sitting there sipping a scotch, looking out at the, the water? Or will I be traveling across the country in an RV? Um, like we had a, a couple, they're in their 50s. They both quit their job now that they've got, I think they've got 10 properties with us. They were able to quit their job. Their dream was to buy an RV and just travel the country. That's what they do. And they send us notes from different cities that they're in. And Christmas, they send us a card and they're just, you know, they're like, you know, we're so thankful that we've, <laughs> we've learned about this and now we're able to say goodbye to our jobs and, and travel the country. And this is what we've always wanted to do. It's amazing. For some reason, a lot of engineers are attracted to me and they'll say my freedom, my freedom or cash flow number is $12,543 a month. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But um, okay, what does that buy you? And, and then whenever they go through the, the conversation, they don't think about it. You know, they, they somehow spreadsheet it out. And It is funny with engineers. I, I, we have a lot of engineers that we work with, and it's a common theme in the office. When we have an engineer that buys a property with us, I have to warn them. Um, not warn them, but I, I'll often say to them, I find a common theme among engineers is that they, it's usually taken them like three years to finally take action. They get into this like analysis paralysis mode because engineers tend to just be overly analytical. So they will just overthink it and overthink it with math and numbers and what, you know, and then three years have now passed and they don't have a rental property because they just had analysis paralysis. And so there's like this common engineer <laughs> sitting on my hands for so long phobia, you know? Yeah, that's a good segue into the, the next question. You know, it seems like there's always a guy in the office who's seems to have some kind of magical formula and like predicting the stock market with, you know, technical analysis and triple peaks or whatever smiley faces, frowning faces on the charts. And it's always seems to be like the engineers or people, they have this ego because they've, they've had some success and they, they can't let go of it. The question is like, what's something that you've changed your mind on recently or in the last few years that, you know, you, your ego, you know, you had success with and you kind of clung on to. One thing, I mean, a myth for me, that I don't want to say it currently exists anymore, but a myth for me at the beginning, it did take a while for me to break through this myth, was in A-class neighborhoods. The reason for my success is because I don't buy in A-class neighborhoods. And it took me a long time to figure this out, but I really like thought that that was the way to do it. Until investors that I, you know, my mentors that own hundreds of properties who buy in the same neighborhoods that I do, buy the same sort of single families that I do, had to teach me that no, the, the houses that you were gonna have the biggest problems in are the A-class neighborhoods. So you would think it's like counterintuitive, right? Like $250,000 rental home, probably a good tenant, they probably got a good job, they're gonna pay you well. Yeah, that sounds good, but it's actually not true. Like what ends up happening in a down economy is those are the people that lose their jobs, not the blue collar delivery person who lives in a C-class property. Um, and it's the manager that tells the delivery person where to drive that loses his job. 
And it's also the properties, the A-class, you know, single family homes, those big homes that have all the moving parts, right? So they've got the air conditioning, the AC, they've got the garage door openers, the garbage disposals, they've got all those bells and whistles. Oh, and you're providing them appliances, which I don't do in my properties. So then all of those things break. Um, the tenants in A-class neighborhoods also tend to be the most entitled and also the biggest pains in the butt. I mean, it's just the bottom line. I have heard it time and time again from my mentors and my wife experienced this. She had a really expensive condo in downtown San Francisco. It was an absolute nightmare, absolute nightmare. Worst tenants destroyed the place, um, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in repairs. And so, you know, the perception for me had to really change and switch to understanding that they, you know, they end up being the worst, it ends up being the worst investments. And so I stay away from them. Um, and stick strictly to, you know, B, B minus and, and C class properties where I don't provide appliances, tenants buy their own appliances. I don't have central air. They want air conditioning in the living room or in the bedroom. Great window unit. You know, um, there's no garage doors open, door openers. There's no garbage disposals. There's none of that stuff. There's very few moving parts. And the, the tenants that live in those properties they are very happy there. They work at the local hospitals. They work at the local distribution center. They work at the local FedEx hub, you know, and they, they work at the local post office. They've been with the post office for 17 years. Um, those are the people that in down economies continue to rent and continue to stay. Um, and so, you know, it was just a mind shift switch. I mean, I heard from a client the other day. He said, you know, I've got five properties, A-class properties. I have yet to make a penny on them. In a tenant turnover, that cost me six thousand dollars to get a tenant to get it cleaned up in tenant turnover. I said six thousand. <laughs> I'm like, you know, my my tenant turnover is like three hundred because I use the same paint, same carpet, you know. So it's like what? And he's like, yeah, I literally have yet to make a penny on these properties. That was a big shift for me, understanding that. Um, but it took a long time for me to wrap my head around that. Something that you recently thought about burning your cash on for a time savings or an improvement in quality of life. You know, my wife is so integral to this business and I said, just, let's just get some more childcare. You know, like our life expands when we have more time to work on the business. And it's kind of one of those mental things where you're like, well, no, if I spend more time on having a babysitter or childcare here during the day for a few hours here and there, we don't have a nanny, but she's here, you know, she'll come maybe on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, on a Friday, and she'll be here for like three or four hours. Well, guess what? In that three or four hours, we can get a whole boatload of stuff done together. You know, we can actually go to lunch. The other day we were, we were working on a big project. We went to lunch, brought the iPad, brought the Apple Pencil, drew out a whole diagram of this big project that we're working on. You know, we had great lunch, had a great discussion about it. We couldn't have done that with little kids grabbing our leg. I was happy to say, you know what, let's, let's up our childcare. Let's start throwing some more cash at that. That's a quality of life thing that I'm looking forward to. And the last question here is the uh, two-part question. Tony Robbins identifies two large concepts that we're continually struggling to gain perfection at. The first is the art of fulfillment, and the second is the science of achievement. So if you die tomorrow... And uh, we were to email this to your kids a few decades later when they'd actually listen. What is your secret or hack to the science of achievement? Any secret habits or morning rituals, nighttime rituals? For the science of achievement, I would say, I, you know, I wake up at 5.30. I do a morning meditation. Um, I journal a little bit. But it's incredibly important for me to come from a place of gratitude. So I start off my meditation thing thinking about prosperity and abundance and gratitude in my life. So start off my day being thankful. And then I kind of dive into a 20 minute meditation where I don't judge it. I just sort of let the flaw, you know, the, the thoughts flow through my head, deep breath. And I just, you know, try to really get centered for the day and focus on my day. Um, and then also setting up and being disciplined about my approach to work. I'm incredibly poor at discipline about, you know, getting things done. So, a few years ago, I read David Allen's great book, Getting Things Done, started studying his GTD methodology, and it's really changed my life. It takes, I would say it takes a number of months to get really proficient at it, and I'm probably not as proficient as a lot of people are. I know I'm not, but I download the software, so I use OmniFocus on my Mac, which lets me use the GTD method. 
I put in inbox items. If any item takes two minutes to accomplish, I get it done in two minutes. If it doesn't, I either it becomes a project or it's deferred to the person that handles it. And I treat my email inbox the same way. And so I've really gotten, so all those projects that are right now up on my big glass board, they're all broken down with individual next steps inside of OmniFocus. So this new studio that I'm building, okay, well, what's the next step? Well, the next step is I need to talk to the project manager uh, scheduling the time for the consultation on how much, you know, when they're going to be out here and we can measure everything. And then the step after that is to purchase the equipment. The step after that, you know, is to get it set up. The step after that is to do some test runs and, you know, you break them down and you find it in more individual steps as you go. But that has really been that and using my calendar with it has been a game changer for me. So as I'm planning out these projects, it's great to have these projects planned out, but when am I going to work on them? So carving out two hours on Thursday from 2 to 4 p.m. to work on studio project uh, is that to me, <laughs> spending that time in quiet reflection, realizing that life is too short for anxiety and stress, and using a simple a, a system to get things done, that's like the key to success right there. Right, yeah, I'll, I'll second that book recommendation, David Allen, Getting Things Done. I mean, a lot of people will think that, well, I don't need to nobody tell me what to do or how to get things done, but it definitely is a game changer. And the frustrating thing is after you implement all the strategies that you'll be at work twiddling your thumbs, trying to deal with people just busy being busy and who aren't really doing the methodology. Right. But Clayton, what's your secret or hack to the art fulfillment? It also comes from a place of stillness when we're moving and we're constantly worried about other people or we're looking behind us or we're looking ahead of us, we're never going to be fulfilled. Um, I think true fulfillment comes from sitting quietly and being grateful and looking around you. So for instance, you might be sitting down. I've got a, a one-year-old, I've got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, but today the two kids were off at school and I had her this morning and I'm just sitting there and playing with her. And, you know, I could be somewhere else. I could be in my smartphone. I could be, listening to a podcast, it could be somewhere else. That's not fulfillment. But to sit there and like just take a deep breath and be present with her, that's all there is. Like there is no other moment, right? There is not, there is not, there's no history and there's no future. The only thing that really matters is that moment that you're in. So if you can't be fulfilled in that time, which is what it's all about, then you've got to start trying to carve out more time to be at peace and be centered because you can't live in the future. Oh, I'm going to be happy when, you know, I get this car, I get this money. Or I'm living my life miserably because 10 years ago, my father left us alone and, you know, when my mom had to raise us. And so I'm just going to be bitter for the rest of my life. And that's my story. So I can't ever be happy. Well, guess what? It's all perfect in the moment if you just allow it to be, you know, and then if you can find gratitude in those moments, then it can grow from there. Right. Well said. So anything we uh, missed, you want to get your contact information out there for people to get hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. If people want to get a hold of me, it's very, very simple. You can just go to our website. Uh, it's Morris, my last name, morrisinvest.com. They can book a call with us if they're ready to kind of jump in and pick up their first rental property. But more importantly, you know, I'd love to, you know, education. So if people want to come over to our web, uh, come over to our podcast, you're listening to this podcast right now, come on over to the Investing in Real Estate podcast. That's the podcast that I host and my wife and I uh, jump on there as well. We teach you strategies and tactics for how to you know, plan your family's finances and pick up rental properties, understanding buy and hold real estate and all of those things. So that is the Investing in Real Estate podcast. We publish that three times a week. So thank you so much, Lane. It's been a real treat being here on the show. Remember, folks, uh, please leave a review on iTunes. We are trying to get over that uh, century mark. So uh, please help me do that. All right. Talk to you later, guys. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.